I'm Rob Fighton from the Ian Smith Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash VC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Hello, everyone. It is I, your host, well, co-host, to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. And with me, as always, to my virtual left, far away to my virtual left, because he smells like he's been chasing a ram all morning. Farmer Dave, David Heath, how the heck are you doing this morning? I am doing well for somebody who just chased a ram. Yeah. Yeah, so we we, we have... so. We have this person that we sell a ram to every year. Sure. Yeah, it's yeah. not easy being a sheep in a goat farm. They get treated pretty poorly <laughs> yeah. compared to the goats. And, and and it's not the cultists. The cultists keep trying to buy a ram yeah. and we won't sell them. Oh, yeah, yeah. But this guy has a farm full of lady sheep. Oh, okay. And so we send one of our rams over to live with them. And then, um, you know. Uh, he, they get a pretty decent life over there. Okay. But yeah. the ram doesn't understand it. So there were four of us chasing it with staves and, and ropes. And yeah, we finally got it, uh, we finally got it, you know, rustled down and in the back of the truck. But, um, yeah. Okay. So if you smell something on your <laughs> podcast today. Do not adjust your dial. Yeah, no, it's no. only me, because I'm fresh out of the field. Yep, yep. 
and I just smell like coffee, and I don't know. Um... I think you smell like Teen Spirit. Oh. <laughs> I hate that perfume. <laughs> you ever know where the song? You know where the song got its name? Um, probably something about Courtney Love saying that Kurt Cobain smelt like a perfume for teenage girls. Close. No, it was a pre Courtney Love. Oh, good. It was graffiti written on a bathroom that Kurt smells like Teen Spirit because that's what his pre Courtney Love girlfriend wore at the time. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, cool, cool. Oh, man, speaking of Courtney Love, I was practicing a song yesterday, and then I went to look up stuff about it, and then one of the things that popped up was, like, uh, 15 songs inspired by Courtney Love being an awful fucking person. And I'm like, oh, I had... Well, I, I mean, I knew this song had something to do with Courtney Love, but I was like, oh, okay, cool. That makes sense. Uh, the song is uh, Bruise Violet by Babes in Toyland. You can look that up. Um, it's 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 really easy to do with power chords. It's if you do a drop D on your guitar, it's it's just pretty much yeah. It's 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 about like it's it's not very hard, but it's a lot of fun to play. Um, I do not know what a drop D is. But... Oh, it's when you turn tune your E to a D, and then you don't have to. Uh, adjust, you, you can just use one finger, uh, preferably the middle finger, uh, for playing guitar. So, yeah. <laughs> I only know, need to know one <laughs> position to play drop D. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's what I did yesterday and today. And Anyway, but, um, yeah, so we're not talking about teen spirit. We're not talking about Courtney Love. Um, Courtney Love is not a avatar of Narlethotep by any chance. Or is she? Eh, I think maybe possessed by Yagalanac. Okay. <laughs> or so, something that consumes the flesh of that that cannot be consumed. Um, okay. yeah. Oh, hey, speaking of things yeah. and cannot be consumed... And clothing. Yeah. We were speaking about that, right? Yeah, yeah. I saw a bunch of new things uh, that you can wear as clothing that is surf and or skate and Cthulhu mythos related. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I decided to make some surf and skate t-shirts about the Cthulhu mythos based off of popular um designs from uh the 80s and 90s for surf and skatewear for all you old heads out there who uh you know used to uh listen to metal and skate or you know surf and love the cthulhu mythos any of that cool fun stuff that you know is kind of part of this so i i designed a bunch of t-shirts and you can go to pgttcm.com go to the store and find those or just go to pgttcm.threadless.com and go directly to the store don't have to like you know bounce around a whole bunch and uh yeah check out the uh, sathagwa shirt that looks like the old thrasher magazine logo uh i did a cthulhu that is somewhere between the old CalSkate logos, CalSurf logo, and uh, the Spitfire logo. So that's kind of like a hybrid one. I did some for uh, girl skateboards, but it's the king in yellow. It just says king, and then it has an outline of a dude with a crown. Um, yeah, yeah, a bunch of stuff and like that. And what color is it? Oh, it's it's yellow. 
the, the word king is yellow. That's you artist types. <laughs> you just so impress me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I wanted to do one based off of the old Santa Cruz logo of the screaming hand for Yagalanak. And I'm like, you know what? They did it perfect the first time. I'm not going to mess with it. Uh, and can't beat a classic. Can't beat a classic. Can't beat a classic. But yeah, I had a lot of fun making those the other day. And if you want to help support the show, check out those surf design and skateboard design shirts. Uh, get a little bit of cred with... Uh, with, uh, you know, the uh, 40s and 50-year-olds that have a bunch of tattoos that you work with, you know? Um, <laughs> and Dave, uh, do you got anything for sale in your neck of the woods? Uh, are, are you going down to the farmer's market today to sell any milk or sold a ram. soap? Oh, yeah, you sold a ram, so I guess I sold a ram. you don't have that's, to do it. You know, that that's about... Yeah, well, once you once you spend the morning wrestling around, you you kind of need some time off. You know what those yous are gonna say when uh, what's 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 your Ram's name shows up? Ramstein. Ramstein. The father when, of Ram. The, when Ram, the Rams we sell, we don't tend to name. Okay. Well, son of Ramstein, when he shows up, uh, the yous are gonna see ba 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 a Ram. Yes, yes, they will. I think that was probably worse than some of your puns, Dave. Is that a challenge? No, oh, no, no. It is not a challenge. I, I, I choose never to challenge you on puns. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I had to throw that in because it was the Beach Boys, and we were just talking about Rams and surf T-shirts. Cut so we're this. About, now we're segregating or switching over or changing to Narlahotep. Yes. Or yes, yes. We couldn't have a good segue because Courtney Love ruined it. Um. So we're going to Narlethotep, and we're talking about two aspects of Narlethotep kind of briefly today, because we personally don't have a lot of background information, but we will tell you the best we can and how we think we would use them in our game. So first up, we have the Dark Demon, a form of Narlethotep, which occasionally possesses a contactee. It appears much as a black demon, a snouted clawed, black-furred being, but is larger and more cunning. It sometimes seduces those steeped in studies of black magic, promising them glory if they will allow him to enter their bodies. Uh, and that's based off of a character by Robert Block, who Which seems to be kind of like an enhanced version of the black demon we talked about two or three weeks ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. It's if I... just bigger, stronger, and more powerful. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, that's that's uh, one thing I was just looking back at, although uh, the black demon isn't created by Robert Block. I think they might be definitely related. So It, it, it sort of, as soon as I can tell, it's the same thing, but yeah. less powerful. Oh, okay, okay. And you, too, can yes. own a dark demon. Yeah, you can use a dark demon in pretty much probably any kind of campaign oh, oh, no, setting. You can go out and buy your own dark demon. Oh, okay, okay. So if you go to, and this is not a plug, this is just something I found when I was looking for it. If you go to Drive Through RPG, yeah, you can pay, I believe it's Chaosium, and they'll give you the program or whatever it is so that you can print or 3D print a dark demon figure for your games. Oh, that's that's pretty cool. That is really cool. And that's on uh, Drive-By RPG? Uh, Drive-Thru. 
drive through RPG. Okay, cool, cool, yeah. cool. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, that's also how you get uh, supernatural Skynet. Yeah. Okay. Cool, cool. That's where I got my Fall of Delta Green and um, various other uh, RPG books that I just have for PDF only because I, I like PDFs. I love PDFs. I love paper. I love books. I love filling rooms with books, but I can only fill a room with so many books, and I've had a lot of books for a long time, so... Um, I mean, PDFs are amazing because that means that I can just like put a laptop on my on my uh, on my bookshelf and then be like, "Yep, that has all of that in it." So, so, so I've been doing a lot of it, and I realize that we're not into like the gaming section. But, sure, but I've been doing a lot of you know virtual tabletop. Yeah. Twenty. Oh, cool. So I've found that my games really have improved uh, with a. Uh, virtual maps okay cool and, and it, it's nice that you can actually work out the distance especially uh -huh. say something like um cyberpunk 2020 yeah. where distance really could affect the target number if you're shooting at something uh something i want to recommend if you're playing cyberpunk 2020 modern call of cthulhu or even anything in the last like 60 70 years um I want to recommend something I uh, found. It's a free online source called Google Maps. And you can really just, like, take a pin shot, you know, take a picture. Um, and uh, just, just um, you know, yeah, use no, it for your game. That, I got a friend that uses that for all his yeah. exterior. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll overlay a grid over it so that people can be like, oh, okay, so it would take us this long to get there and this long to in and be like, yeah, 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 just overlay a hex grid or something like that for like um, the driving aspect of the game or redlining or whatever you want to do. And uh, also, um, you can get a good idea of roughly the size of buildings and the distance of things uh, in real world stuff if you want to just apply it to your game and then change the names around for stuff. Or if you need to find how long would it fly uh, take to fly from New York to Rio de Janeiro and then be like, well, okay, not in a modern plane. You can look that stuff up. Um, you can figure out how long it would take to walk from <sighs> Beverly, Massachusetts, roughly where I think uh, Arkham is, uh, to walk to Boston. Like, say, you have to figure out how to walk from Marblehead to Boston or Marblehead to or uh, Innsmouth to Beverly. I always use Marblehead as a stand-in for Innsmouth and Beverly as a stand-in for Arkham for figuring out distances. So, just to let you know, um, some people or, use. Or you could just make it up if your players are too lazy to look it up themselves. I know. Word. I know, but I like to, you know, get really into you're, the details. That, that's why you're a perfectionist. I, I, I oh man, I, I recently spent 15 hours watching a bunch of true crime documentaries to learn more about blood splatter analysis for a thing I'm working on right now. So, Dr. Henry Wu. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 uh, doing that kind of stuff and looking into like, uh, false confessions and just, just for just one, I, I spent 20 hours watching true crime, listening to true crime, looking stuff up just, just for like half a page. And I'm like, oh, this is why Ken Height knows everything. He just looks up one thing, but has to go through so much stuff, but also he, Ken Height's fairly educated and makes and up. 
some Ken of it. Fetch and Hype. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, um, Dark Demon. I, I love the concept that there's uh, something you can print out for it in a 3D printer. So if you have like a 3D printer that prints metal, you got a cool little metal fig. But also if you've got a plastic 3D printer, you, you know, it's still cool. Still, still cool. Yeah, and and the the and I don't know enough about 3D printers. I assume it works on either. Uh-huh. Uh, the one in the demo is definitely a plastic one. Okay, cool, very but, cool. But uh, you know, I don't know about it because uh, I don't have a 3D printer. Uh, because that really is black magic to me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My 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 friend JC, who was on a number of months ago to talk about Star Wars figurines. Um, yeah, he has a 3D printer, and he prints out all kinds of things uh, for people that he sells at, like, swap meets and stuff, like trailer hitch covers or, like, a little plastic piece that you can clip your battery onto your bike, like your secondary battery onto your bike. So you have, like, a second battery if you have an e-bike that you need to switch out your batteries. He's built stuff like that. And I'm gonna or a ta- Dark Demon. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he could print out a Dark Demon if we wanted to. But, um... The other thing I was going to say is I'm going to talk to him about putting on some, uh, printing out some uh, knobs for a guitar so I can have like cool skull knobs. But yeah. All right. Um, Speaking of cool skull knobs, uh, another form of Narlithotep is the Dark Destroyer, who is a shapeshifter. So could appear as skull knobs. Uh, This Avatar often appears, though, as a glowing cloud that emanates terror of a horned human-like form. So, like, um, Night on Bald Mountain, Fantasia, um, Toy Factory logo, if you're a skateboarder. I mean, it's, 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 a uh, it's a horned so if human-like. That, if, if that is a thought, yeah. that, among other things, Narlothotep basically imitates the other outer gods. Yeah just to irk them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what I was kind of thinking, it, this is his version of Ithaqua. Oh, because some people say uh, that it might be an avatar of Azathoth, but I, you know, they also say that's unlikely. This is very unlikely, but someone said, you know, it could be. And yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I like the idea that Narlethotep, when he is representing Azathoth, will do it as various... Like, Narlethotep could just show up in... Uh, the Yukon and show up as the Dark Destroyer, people would already be kind of familiar with some sort of glowy mist kind of thing with horns and go, oh, that must be the Athagua thing that I've been hearing about in folklore for the last who knows how many years. And it's like, no, 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 I'm I'm something different and I want to talk to you. But actually, no, no, he, he, he terrorizes people and pushes people. And and and, you know, it's it's like if people are terrorized, then there's probably going to be people that honor that thing. If there's like, oh, the enemies of myself are terrified by that. Or maybe I am some sort of amoral cannibal type or something. I don't know. Living in the backwoods of Montana and I worship the Dark Destroyer. Because I want, I want things to be destroyed. Like, what if you had like a Ted Kaczynski type who lived outside of Lincoln, Montana, worshiping a dark destroyer in the I don't know uh, Ponderosa Pines, way, way, way up in the Bob Marshall Wilderness, and you know, send spells, send spells, not 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 bomb threats, but or not bombs, but send spells or sends packages that do explode with, like, um, eldritch magic. 
Um, I mean, that's, oh man, I don't know. That's, that's just like first thing that popped into my head, but yeah, you could, you could, I feel like you could do a lot with a dark destroyer, with a shapeshifter, with an avatar that appears as a glowing cloud that emanates terror and has horns. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what if that thing shows up at like, I don't know, Bonnaroo. Um, <laughs> what if that thing, you know, shows up at a huge festival? You've got a bunch of cultists who are like pretending to be a band. I, I feel like this is like something that pops up a lot, like Delta Green and like uh, 90s uh, Call of Cthulhu. But say you have a group of EDM artists at a festival who, um, you know, a bunch of guys from Manchester or, hey, maybe they're not even from Manchester. Maybe they're from a little bit uh, further south. Uh, maybe they're from the Severn Valley or no, that would uh, I, I'm awful when it comes to British landscapes. Um, okay. say, say you have um, a bunch of mad lads from. Uh, the Severn Valley and, you know, from Goatswood, from Goatswood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, you know, Leeds is all cool and everything, but you should really hear the shit we've got coming out of Goatswood. It is sick, son. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what if it's an EDM group and they go to a concert and then you see this big glowing horned thing and everyone's kind of afraid of it at first. But then a lot of people think it's some sort of like laser light show special effect or something like that. And then madness ensues and uh, the authorities just blame it on like drugs, like a bunch of tainted MDMA that made everyone freak out. And then, you know, well, maybe it was, yeah. but it was tainted with like, you know, some sort of plutonic drug. drug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Getting some reverb going on. If you've read any of the Delta green books. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I got a kind of an idea on this. Oh, sure. So, so, you know, you see your party, they see out in the woods, they see this, this, you know, aurora borealis, horns, and they all freak out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they come across another witness, right? You see them, and, you know, depending on how your party would react, if they'd be more protective of male or female or, or young. But the other witness is the shape-shifting form. Oh, and now they're saying, oh, I have this brilliant plan. And Farmer Dave just set it on his podcast. Oh, I can still use it. Yeah. None of my people listen to him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they always tune him out. They always tune him out and wait for, for DB to talk again. Oh, no, no one does that. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I like that idea. That's pretty cool. I feel like the Dark Demon and the Dark Destroyer are both things that you could use fairly easily. Any place you could put a spooky demon and then be like, oh, yeah, no, this is an avatar of Narlethotop. This is not the devil. This is not Satan. This is just uh, a way that uh, Naralethotep can talk to Satanists, maybe. Uh, Dark Destroyer, I feel like there's so much you can do with a shapeshifter that also appears as a glowing cloud that emanates terror or a horned human-like form. Um, <laughs> I just like reading that whole sentence. Um, yeah, no, no, it's... Narlethotep has so many cool masks. And I, I think we're just trying to go with the cool ones. We're not going to go with um, the, uh, the the beige square, where Narlethotep is a giant beige square. I kind of like the beige square. I don't know. The beige square. Oh, the beige square. <laughs> All right, everyone. Speaking of forms of Narlethotep. Yeah. 
I am going to talk about five characters in relatively modern fiction. Uh, I would say one's actually was created in the 30s uh-huh. that were or were not necessarily meant to be Narlathotep, but they make perfect sense that they're masks of him. Oh. Uh, one of them is a character from a poem from Robert E. Howard. Okay. Another is a top Stephen King character. Ooh. Uh, another is we find in a major science fiction uh, uh, show. Uh-huh. And the other, oh, another one is a character that appeared in Dark Horse Comics in Whoa. the 80s and 90s. Very cool, very cool. Um, I can't wait to listen to that. And uh, one I want to throw out there that I know you're not covering uh, is Dr. Mabuse from the Fritz Lang films of the uh, 1920s, 30s, and uh, eventually one in the 60s. It was more of a B-movie. But yeah. The Million Eyes of Dr. Mabase. But uh, Testament of Dr. Mabase, I feel that you have someone who's imprisoned in a cell who is able to send out their thoughts for a worldwide crime syndicate. And like, yeah, and it's just like all these people report and it's like all these cells within cells and everyone like people go to this room to listen to a voice, tell them what to do. If you take out some of the more mechanical elements and focus on more of the supernatural elements uh dr mabase from testament of dr mabase but also he could easily also be a sean or amigo um automaton or something like that but yeah. it's 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 uh, to me it's always felt very very mythosy in some ways um uh, an, another fritz lang character yeah, yeah. is from uh, metropolis Rotwang. Oh, yeah. Rotwang could be yeah. a, a priest of Narlathotep, if not, <laughs> you know, big end himself. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Well, uh, as as uh, uh, the Dark Destroyer is a shapeshifter, so is this. And we're going to shapeshift into some commercials. Then Dave's going to talk about uh, five forms of Narlathotep in media. And uh, then we're going to talk about D&D for a moment. So... We will see you on the other side of the commercials. Oh, I just have to mention, I'm drinking Copper Cow Coffee. Actually, I just ran out of Copper Cow Coffee. And in a moment, I'm going to refill my cup and uh, enjoy some more. But I've uh, taken to just drinking my Copper Cow, just like uh, like the instructions say. I've put it in espresso machines. I've, I've dumped it into French presses. I've done all kinds of cool stuff with it. I've even made infused vodka with it uh, for baking, not for drinking. I don't drink that much these days. And, uh, yeah. And as you can tell from this dog, I think somebody's come to pick up a ram at my place. Ooh-hoo-hoo-hoo. All right. Well, uh, we'll get back to Dave in a moment, and uh, we'll see you on the other side of these ads. All right. Hey, everybody, it's me, uh, Farmer Dave, and uh, just wanted to talk a little bit about what we're kind of talking about pretty much to the end of the year, and that is 
H.P. Lovecraft's creation of Nyarlathotep. Now, what I'm going to talk about today is we know that there are a thousand different faces of Nyarlathotep that maybe or maybe didn't start out as being meant to be an avatar of the Outer God. And one, I think, the most famous is going to be Stephen King's Randall Flagg. Flagg is Stephen King's boogeyman. And the closest thing to the devil that he has, in the, the, at least the stuff that I've read, he first is going to appear in The Stand, appears in quite a few other things, but his next really big appearance is going to be in the Dark Tower series. And there's a scene that I'll have to admit, I, when I've read it and I've read it a couple times, and I, I love, of all Stephen King's stuff, I love his short stories and The Stand. I think The Stand is just this great, epic, good versus evil story on parallel with the good versus evil story of Star Wars or Paradise Lost. And so there's the scene when the professor, uh, Glenn Bateman, is talking to, to Flag, and he calls him Nyarlathotep. And there are a tutor, at least, sort of interpretations of that. One is that Bateman is a professor. He has a PhD. He's very well read. Uh, and in fact, you know, his middle name is Pequod. He's, his middle name is the boat in uh, Moby Dick. So he, he's very much into literature. And, may, and maybe in this universe, Lovecraft existed. And Bateman is using that term of a fictitious character to describe who he sees Randall Flagg as. I think maybe, though, the more modern interpretation comes from that he truly is Nyarlathotep and that Bateman recognized this. Now, Flagg's own background is very sort of mysterious, and the more he becomes Ronald Flagg, or Randall Flagg, the more he, or the character, the more he forgets who he was and that, you know, he, he vaguely remembers, you know, growing up next to the Stark Weathers um, and several other murderous incidents. But the more and more he becomes this avatar of uh, Narothotep. And in the same way, I think that Dr. Dr. Dexter does. Although Dr. Dexter is possessed because he looks into the glowing trapezoid, uh, I think that that Randall Flagg maybe always wanted to be. So if he's not this, and he's also in different dimensions at different times, so if he's not a true avatar of Nalathotep, he definitely, I think, is this possession, that he is his thrall, and that he becomes more and more this outer god. Now there's another version, I think, from Stephen King, and I, and I believe that's Stephen King's pretty much uh, way he presents Randall Flagg now as 
an avatar of Neothotep, at least outside of canon. I think he's he's come out and said that you know it's is part of this being, but I could also see in the Stephen King universe as Pennywise being an avatar of Neothotep, especially sort of as a sort of clown figure to scare to send this message of horror. Now Lovecraft, or King of course, loves Lovecraft. So with Bateman calling Randall Flagg Neurothotep, it is at the minimum sort of a tip of the hat to Lovecraft and his writing to possibly bring the character in from from Lovecraft, from the cosmos, and connecting it with the greater world of Stephen King. So another form that I would think possibly could be Neurothotep, and one of the reasons why I will forever mispronounce that name is Joe R. Lansdale's Bubba Hotep. And if, if you have not seen the movie it's one of bruce campbell and ozzy davis's best i by all means recommend it or the novella and i i love uh lansdale's work he really is sort of this jack of all trades and in addition to bubba hotep uh we know that he has a very uh connection with the mythos in that he did the comic book adaptation of Robert E. Howard's Pigeons from Hell, which is a modern version where he changes the primary characters to two African-American sisters and makes uh, the Cur Sheriff Kirby character almost this sort of half-like Kirby, half-like Shaft. And in anyone else's hands, it might not have worked, but it... It definitely does in his. He also wrote the, I think, underappreciated, and I understand why it has detractors, is Incidents Off and On a Country Road. And I absolutely get that this is feminist slasher written from a man's perspective. And, and I get that one of the complaints is that it's sort of this man's perspective. But... I think it's one of the great heroines and final girls, and I think that it's I think it's a great story, uh, both again as the novella or as um, the uh, HBO uh, Masters of Horror TV series. And so I could see that Bubba Hotep, which is this spirit that's reincarnated back into a zombie from a bus that was going to a museum that crashed that's now coming out of a river and sucking the souls out of old people's butts. Yes, that's what I'm saying. I absolutely could see that if there is a universe where John F. Kennedy survived his assassination attempt Part of his brain was blown out, but they were able to keep him alive. And so he's hidden in a old person's home and his skin is dyed black so that it won't, so they won't know what's really going on. 
And that character could have been just a terrible character, but Ozzie Davis plays him with so much authority, power, and assurance that it's not in any way racist, I feel. Um, but yeah, if Elvis, uh, you know, changed his life with an Elvis impersonator who died on drugs and then he became an Elvis impersonator back on the road and broke his hip, so he's in an old person's home in that universe. Yes, I absolutely believe that Narlahotep would become Bubba Hotep. And I know I mispronounced the name again, but this is the universe of Bubba Hotep, and so we pronounce it that way. And it's, again, this fun character that, you know, I cannot believe that Lansdale did not... I mean, he's obviously very knowledgeable of the Cthulhu mythos, so I could not see him not, um, not being influenced uh, by uh, Nalothotep. Definitely was influenced by Lovecraft and, and Howard. Another form, I think, comes from Howard, who definitely knew quite a bit about uh, Nalothotep because he was in correspondence with Lovecraft. And as Lovecraft sort of fine-tuned the Outer God, you know, he would write, Howard would be one of the people that he would write. And though I think Howard maybe uses the name uh, Nanarthotep, throws it out once in a while, I don't, there's not really any story. But there is a char unnamed character in a poem, which is Silence Falls on Mecca's Walls, which really was one of the first things that I read by Howard. It was definitely during his cosmic horror phase. And so this, basically, this woman seduces the high priest of Mecca, and that allows for all these terrible monsters to come out of the desert and destroy the town. And I feel that this unnamed woman could easily be either a servant or a high priestess of Nalathotep, or possibly even a form of her own, that maybe she is an avatar. And that's why she had such power to, to wage uh, this, this destruction throughout the desert, much like we're going to see in Lovecraft's poem, Nyarlathotep. So I'm going to say that she is either an avatar or somehow linked, maybe a priestess or a witch of Nyarlathotep, even though I don't believe Robert E. Howard ever said she was, but he never said anything that would make you not believe that. So if we're going to just throw around ideas here, and that's what we are, you and I are talking, even though you can't, you can hear me, I can't hear you, and but that's okay, you and I are talking. Most of my friends don't listen to me anyway, so you're a step above them. Just kidding, real friends. But if we're just throwing out ideas, what if Narlafotep is in fact an elder being that appeared in Star Trek. I mean, definitely Q would be this, I mean, Q would be this possible 
uh, form of uh, Neolothotep, but the Squire of Gothos would definitely be, uh, I think, a face of him. Another Star Trekian possibility for being uh, Neolothotep, if, and doesn't mean that all of them can't be a form of him, is in the episode Cat's Paw, which was based on a short story by Robert Block, who, you know, definitely was part of the Lovecraft mythology, uh, writing circle and part of the Cthulhu mythos as we know it. And in his, based on his uh, short story, uh, Broom's Ride, where we have Sylvia and uh, Kobos, who are basically these aliens. They look like Lovecraftian aliens. They're uh, little tiny sort of weird birds that have to take this transmuted form, and when their transmuter is destroyed, they're returned to their original form and, and basically can't exist in this universe. And I think that they are extremely Lovecraftian creatures. And, you know, if they're not going to be creatures of some sort, then I, I definitely see either both of them at, or as, you know, avatars or worshippers of Neolothotep. So in addition to the block angle, we also have the giant cat in Cat's Paw. We all know how much Lovecraft loved cats. So the final example that I want to talk about, at least today, of uh, Nate Arthotep is the mask. And, and I'm not really talking about the Jim Carrey movie as much as the uh, comic book that inspired it. Now, the mask in the comic book is much darker and much more twisted than sort of the fun kind of Jim Carrey-ish character that we see in the movie. Uh, and it leads to people's death, including Stanley at the hand of uh, his, his girlfriend Kathy's. And he manipulates people to their destruction and thoroughly enjoys this. And that's why I think it, one of the main reasons that it could be the mask itself a face of Neurothotep, or at least the person who puts it on, or maybe it is blessed or cursed by the outer god, so that people who follow the mask or put the mask on and let it lead their lives are led to this very wanton destruction and violence, and that the, the mask is could literally be a mask of Neolothotep. And since Dark Horse has such other creatures as Hellboy, we all know how influenced Hellboy is by the mythos and Lovecraft, I really don't think that that's a too far-fetched possibility. Uh, as we spend more time discussing Neolothotep, uh, well, more and more things that I think might be influenced or might be manifestations, and we'll talk more about that. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and this has been uh, Farmer Dave, and you've been listening to the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Dave's Corner of the Monster Tracks, to the podcast.
This episode is brought to you by Donner. Check out the show notes to find a good deal at Donner. Like the sound of this? This is the Donner Island Delay. And the really cool Donner LP that I've shown off on, like, Instagram? Check it out. Uh, They've got some really good summer deals. And check out their snap deals as well. Use the link in the show notes to help support the show. Get yourself some cool musical instruments, maybe some patch chords. Cool. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that will tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. Hello, everyone. We're back with D&D with D&D. Um, the first two Ds are Dungeons and & Dragons, and the second two Ds are Dave and DB. I am the... Re- really? I had that backwards all the time. I thought we were the first Ds, and Dungeons and & Dragons were the second Ds. Oh, you're right. But you're right. I don't know well, what I was thinking. D&D on D&D. Dungeons and Dragons on Unless David and DB. Dungeons and Dragons on top of our heads, you're yeah. probably right. Yeah, yeah. I, I like to think of head. it as us standing on top of the uh, uh, second edition logo. <laughs> or, or or maybe us trying to pull the gem out of a eye of a large yeah, statue. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, today we're talking about monster types as we slowly go through... Uh, what is D&D and how to play it? Um, and something that we want to talk about is types, monster types. And, um, like, how would you describe monster types, Dave? Well, it, it's classification. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, uh, I think, in, and this is where my social science degree, well, actually, but isn't that uh, taxonomy? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It, so it's basically, it's a crutch. Okay. or a tool um and so that you can say you know this is a plus one sword but sure. plus three against undead yeah. or or slimes um it also you can allow you to sort of tailor it towards like spells yeah and, and then finally it just helps for some of the people that need sort of for players that just are more into, say, classifications. Sure, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Also, it does make things a little bit interesting if one classification is weak to something and another classification isn't... I mean, it's almost like Pokemon at this point here. It's like, ugh, ah, I, I, I need to grab my special sword for fighting aberrations, but not the one that I use for fighting dragons or fey. But, yeah. Maybe that's not Pokemon. Well, I, I guess uh, bro- I broadsword. I, I choose you. Yeah. Myself. What's that? I thought you did a pretty decent Ash Ketchum imitation there. Oh, uh, I, I try. I try. Um, but yeah, so we're going to talk about four types of uh, 
monsters today. We're going to be talking about apparitions, beasts, celestials, and constructs. So the first one we're going to talk about is very near and dear to the two of us, although Dave said he didn't know which which ones are those. And then I had to say, it's the Cthuloid. It's the utterly strange alien beings uh, that have natural abilities and... Uh, can alter minds um, and uh, just by being looked at sometimes. And uh, yeah, they, they, they tend to use innate abilities as opposed to magic or mystical forces. So, And, and they tend to be dimensional. Yeah, well... Kind of like the platypus uh, of D&D. I was going to say aberrations. Um, good, good examples of aberrations, I would say, are... Uh, my brain um like okay so uh i was gonna say is beholder and i'm like no that's a magical creature um so so the one so mind flayers are aberrations yeah mind flayers are aberrations uh lurkers lurkers are yeah uh my the internet says beholders are actually aberrations oh okay okay uh according so to the one that i wondered was slad Oh yeah! And I had to look up Slad in five different websites before it would give a classification. Uh-huh. And so some dude on the internet, so it's got to be true because some dude uh-huh, uh-huh. said that it is um, that Slads are aberrations. Oh, okay. I mean, to me that doesn't make much sense because they come from, uh, yeah, yeah, they do come from a plane of chaos, but. I mean, throwing chaos at the Cthulhu mythos, I think, is a bit overdone. And saying that they're the gods of madness is just us being a cargo cult. Mm-hmm. Um, just because we freak out about it doesn't mean that it's a god of madness. Mm-hmm. I mean... Well, <laughs> and these are, these are more like servitor races. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They're not really... And what an, an aberration is not is not a fiend. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're not demonic. No, um, uh, abo- uh, an aboleth is a an aboleth is a great, great example of a uh, of of an aberration. It's it's also like the first or second one, depending on what book you look up. But yeah, no, we're talking about a huge, huge monster that has I don't know a lot of hit points, a lot of. <laughs> Uh, they pretty much, oh man, I, okay. <sighs> Aboliths can do a lot of stuff. Everything from like enslaving stuff. They've got tentacles. They can mess with your brain with telepathy. Uh, they're amphibious. Um, yeah, yeah. They can drain you psychically. They come from another place. They're older than old and they live underneath the water. Uh, just, just making their plans and, I mean, they're kind of a stand-in for other Cthulhu mythos kind of creatures, but honestly, they, they, they occupy some sort of space between Cthulhu and a great old one that's not Dagon. I mean, it, it's, 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 it's like these, these, these ancient fish, fish, uh, octopoidal, uh, these fish, oh man, it's like coelacanths with tentacles and multiple eyes and yeah. <laughs> and what's a, no, it's a good, uh, low level one. What's that? Uh, the choker. Oh, the choker. Yeah. Yeah. Those ones are, 
weird looking, but also not too, not too, not too much. They're just what humanoids that have like uh, a long gro- arms that choke. Yeah, and they, 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 I believe they can live underwater. Yeah, Maybe you're the DM. Make them live underwater. Ooh, yeah. They can reach out from the water and with their long arms and start choking people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there's stuff that I. I feel like it's like super duper, like obviously a uh, aberration, the cool, the uh, lobster-like creature that has a thick armored shell and a pair of tiny eyes that gleams with a mouthful of writhing tentacles. And yeah, it's, 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 I, I don't know. I, yeah. When you say platypus, that is, that is, uh, I, I want to go on that a bit. It's like you take three creatures and smash them together, but, um, but not not just two, because then that would be a magical beast. I mean, uh, part of me is like, well, okay, so um, a cool is a uh, aberration, but a um, displacer beast is not. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just labels, man. Yeah, a but, dimensional shambler, totally. But do you know who has the best aberration name? Whom? The scum. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The spawn of the uh the spawn of the Abeloths. Yeah, they're and they're they're like super empowered, you know, deep ones or you know Shockwin or whatever you want to call them. You know what first edition character that has just recently in the last few years come back into D and D is an aberration. What is that? The flump. The flum. If if you're not familiar with the flum, check I'm it out. Not familiar with the flum. Oh well. Um. <laughs> someone didn't play enough first edition. Um. They come from the distant stars to protect unprepared worlds from cosmic horrors. Flumps are like giant jellyfish-like creatures that float in the air and hunt with acidic spikes. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we just—I think we just called them something else. But yeah. yeah. Feaster from the stars. They're—they're they're like flying lily pads of death. Yeah, yeah, but but they're good guys, and they yeah. look stupid because they have eye stalks. <laughs> and they used to draw them really bad, but now I feel like they're being represented a little bit differently. But yeah. All right. Uh, what do we have after? Uh aberrations that we've been talking about so is it b for beast or oh I'm, I'm i'm clicking back there right now and we've got b for beast which are uh bears large cats small cats uh birds Animal. animals just like ordinary animals dinosaurs um even dire versions like a a dire boar or a dire bear or a dire wolf would all be examples of beasts. They're just like, I don't know, the um, apex so of the apex. A platypus apex. would actually be a beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if it was a platypus with three eyes, though, or maybe a platypus with tentacles, it'd be an aberration. Yeah. yeah. If it was a platypus from deep, deep, deep space, from the far realms or whatever. But yeah, that's so easy uh, to describe beasts. Um, you know. So, so if it exists... Or realistically, could have existed in this world. Yeah, it's a beast. Yeah, if it's an extinct animal like uh, various types of um, pachyderms from uh, the Ice Age, totally. 
uh, saber-toothed tigers. Yeah, I mean, why not? Stegosaurus, go for it. Uh, giant trilobites, hey, you got to ride on something. Uh, <laughs> beasts, yeah, super easy, super easy. We don't even have to go through a list of our favorite beasts, but we can. Dave, do you have a favorite beast? Well, I think, um, and well, definitely, I think uh, Wolverine. Yeah. Not not the Marvel, but Wolverine, uh -huh, uh -huh. wolves, uh, mountain goats. Especially, nice. I, I have a, a druid that loves turning into mountain goats. Uh -huh. um, so yeah, I mean, even, um, you know, yeah. So if it, if it lived, and, and I'm not even sure. Yeah. So. Um, I think birds are also considered beasts. Yes, they are. Yes, they birds are. Birds, and you know, so I don't think they get there. Sharks are are this great one if you're a, uh, you know, in a water adventure. Yeah. Not that scary if you're in like a desert. Sure. Unless, well, it could be. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, no, no. I I have to say my uh, my my favorite are um. And this isn't in the real world. I'm not like, I think eagles are the best. But uh, large raptors in Dungeons & Dragons, large raptor birds, like like a dire falcon or like some sort of like golden turkey buzzard kind of thing that has like, you know, you can come up with like a, a turkey buzzard that has like a uh, wingspan, you know, of like 50 feet or something like that. And... Even, oh, not not the Thunderbird or the Phoenix. Those are magical uh, creatures, I believe. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I feel like uh, some of these, though, it's like you can add something onto, like you could have a dragon that's also undead. You can have a um, humanoid plant-type creature. It's like... What do you do then? But that's not what we're talking about this week. What we are talking about, though, is the next thing up is celestials, which are creatures native to the upper plains. So, so there's one last. Oh, 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 oh sorry. That we ought to. That came from AD&D Adventures All right. in space. Uh oh. Spelljammer. Are we talking space hamsters? Yes. All right. I knew it. I knew it. Giant space hamsters, and. Also, miniature giant space hamsters. Yeah, miniature giant space hamsters and space hamsters, which I just think you should just say hamsters, because I don't think hamsters come from any terrestrial world. I think they're all space creatures. So I'm going to I'm going to say that we're going to have to agree to disagree. Okay. Because if you can add space to anything mm -hmm. as an adjective, yeah, do it. Okay. Space if goats. You can add giant space to anything do it giant space goats all right yes cool all right so after that we've got the celestials as i said creatures from the upper planes um we haven't gone into cosmology of dnt yet but the upper planes it's if you're a nice person quote unquote uh relatively speaking based off of what your god thinks or uh whatever cosmic entities bring you into the afterlife um the upper planes are like heaven and nirvana and um, not Asgard, uh, Elysium. Um, is there an Asgard or is, am, am I thinking? I, I, I know there was on the, in the up to like third edition. Okay. Okay. But anyway, so, you know, if, if you have, if you're lawful good, lawful neutral, 
<laughs> lawful good, neutral good, or chaotic good, you're going there. And, you know, if, if, if you know, you, you were a jerk and then you started being a good guy, you'll probably go there or a neutral plane. Uh, if you're a bad guy or a good guy that became a bad guy, you know what? It's, it's up to your DM and don't listen to me. But uh, celestials uh, include angels, uh, pegasi, uh, unicorns. Unicorns, thank you. I was like trying to pronounce something. Uh, Quetzalcoatl, or and I don't know. Um, a quetzal. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Quetzals, which, so there, there's real quetzals, but then there's quetzal as, you know, a basically a divine beast yeah. in, in South America. Yeah. And so there's also this thought that these things that are pure yeah. can purify terrestrial things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you basically have celestial dogs, celestial wolf, yeah. celestial bad. These are, for la- using game terms, they are creatures that are buffed. Yeah. They are beasts that are buffed by a celestial entity. Yeah. Now, also, Celestial can be a pack of a warlock. Yes. Yes. So, it can. so a powerful unicorn, a powerful Pegasus, can be a patron mm-hmm. as much as, say, an angel yeah. or, or a diva. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, a Kirin, too. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about the kidding. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, Lamasau, uh, Moon Dogs, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of cool ones. Um, I'm trying to see if there's any that I remember from back in my days that I used to think were amazing. And it's like I didn't really do a lot of adventures with Celestials or anything like that. Most of my stuff always had to deal with undead um, aberrations, the negative planes, the the planes. Uh, planes of conflict, the neutral planes, and you know, um, didn't really deal with uh, you know, it's like the places that they could go. It's like, oh, when you land in these water, you'll kind of burn a little bit because you're, you know, not good. And they're like, no, we're not going there. <laughs> we'll hire. We're we're high enough level. We can hire a lesser party to go there and then they played the lesser party and they went in a little bit got the thing and left or like okay cool (laughs) and that's something else i want to say if there's something that your party doesn't want to do they can hire hirelings and then make them play the like third level hirelings or something you know (laughs) and and so one sort of interesting thing when i was like really young like 13 or 14 i had very limited knowledge of Eastern theology, Eastern mythology. So one of my first really experiences with that was a Dragon Magazine article that introduced the diva. Oh. And, you know, before divas were just, you know, you know, Mariah Carey. But it introduced me the whole concept that, that there are angelic creatures in other belief systems. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, no. And that's 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 really cool. Or like what we would call uh, angels or celestials or anything like that. Yeah, no, no. Like a uh, beings of positive energy that are for forces of good in the world. I mean, I, I guess that's probably what I'd call a celestial if if we're going to like back off of it a little bit and not just make it about like heaven and hell or something like that. Like even if you don't have a cosmology that has an upper and lower planes and it's just like you know when you're dead you're dead but there's gods who control elements of things you know yeah, and and so um just you, a quick thought about that too yeah. is that they're not i mean in there's always this argument about you know alignment system yeah so yes they tend to be you know if you're going to black and white, lawful good, neutral good, neutral lawful. Uh But that doesn't mean they don't have politics. Yeah. That doesn't mean they don't make mistakes. Sure. That doesn't mean that they aren't going to sacrifice the party for the, quote, greater good, unquote. You know, they're they're more, in this particular case, I'm going to say have good intentions. And we all know where that takes us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I can imagine uh, definitely a celestial, a solar or something like that. Uh, destroying a party without really thinking about it because they're going up against a greater evil that the party's also fighting. Like, or, or, or like the party almost being totally wiped out because the person or the, the thing that they're fighting, this celestial has like a thousand years of conflict with. And, you know, you bring this, you, you, you figure a way to make it so that this dark thing can be hurt, brought up, destroyed. And then you have the celestial show up who just, starts like bombing super positive energy or lightning or whatever your flavor of celestial is exactly yeah. and, and you know they're going to they're they're going to sacrifice or attempt to sacrifice a party of six to save a kingdom yeah 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 which i it's mean it's all about the math y- y- you know if you want to make an omelet you got to crush some uh, pcs so, <laughs> especially if you want a PC omelet, yeah, 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 and dragons and you know love them, uh, but that's not who we're talking about next. We uh, did you want to say anything else about celestials? Because we pretty much celestialized them out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a heavenly pun. Uh, so constructs, constructs are my favorite. They are not born, they are made. They uh, very powerful constructs can happen naturally in the outer planes, elemental planes, stuff like that, but generally has some sort of uh, higher guidance in that. Um, But constructs are something that if you're a powerful wizard, if you're a smarty pants, uh, if you're a powerful, you know, uh, Dave, how do constructs get made? Who makes them? Gnomes. Besides gnomes, can anyone else make constructs, or is it just yeah, gnomes? Yeah, so they're, they're basically mechanical men. Okay. And so we, you can even now basically, and I, and I get it, it's not the same, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you could basically play a construct yeah. with the Warforged. Yeah, 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 they're, yeah. They're not even played. But they're, 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 they're some sort of steampunk or pre-steampunk um 
Mechanical Man construction. Modrons from uh, Nirvana are one of my favorites. Uh, in uh, Planescape, I played a rogue Modron fighter. And the whole concept of that is you are part of this giant giant outer outer realm, uh, neutral outer realm, maybe neutral or uh, lawful good outer realm. I can't remember what Nirvana Mechanus is. Um, and, you know, that's all one thinking machine that's ran by these clockwork creatures. And you decide one day, for some reason, you're not part of that clockwork creature anymore, but you're still connected to that clockwork creature, and they know where you go, and, you know, it's, 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 it would be like if a Borg decided to not be a Borg and the other Borg were still connected to it, um, in Star Trek terms. Um, I don't know. I'm having <laughs> a concept coming up with, but that's one of my favorite cons constructs. And it's like the initiative is always the same on it. It's, it's like, it's certain things that it always does. It's, it's kind of like that crow guy who can only like, uh, those crow guys who can only do what other party members are doing or only repeat what other party members are doing, but it's like with Kenku. other actions. What's that? Kenku? Yes, Kenku. Thank you. And, um, and, and the thing, though, since they don't grow old and die, and yeah. they rust. Constructs like, like, and whatnot, yeah. Yeah, the Iron Man. I mean, not the Iron Man, the Tin Man. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, Dorothy has to oil him so that he can move. But, so if you're going to have orcs or goblins in a dungeon yeah i mean most people just hand wave it but there's got to be a reason there there's got to be food there's got to be water mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They, they're gonna poo yeah you don't have to do that with constructs i mean no. they can wind each other up sure we have to say justify why hundreds of years ago somebody made them yeah yeah no if, if you just have a powerful wizard who wants to protect their um their their dungeon um, or what you think of as a dungeon, what they thought of as their home 200 years ago, they may have, you know, built some giant uh, stone statues that will animate once you walk in, or maybe panes of glass that have archers in them that then lean out of their panes of glass and then fire at you. You might have some clerics that created uh, not an image of their god as a uh, construct made out of wood or something like that, but it may be some sort of animal that the creature holds holy that you then have to deal with, like, I don't know, uh, porcelain Boar. deer or porcelain boars or something like that. Um, you, you know, there's steel. If there is, okay, so if there's a material, you can make stuff out of it. I don't want to be gross, but you can make blood golems, brain golems, um, yeah, I, I, I don't want to go any further, but I mean, uh, you can make slime golems. You can make all kinds of golems. You can make golems out of like negative material, uh, void golems. You can... Vodka uh, golems. Yeah, you can make salt golems. You can make scarecrows can be golems. Just that's that's like one of the easiest golems I think it is to make is a scarecrow. And I don't know what the Absolutely. difference... Yeah, and it's, it's, it's like... Would a homunculi be a, be a, be a construct? And I think yes. Because you build a homunculi and then you give life to it. But yeah, I could be wrong there. I, I don't yeah, know the D&D rules on, that one. on the homunculus. Uh, so my favorite is I once made uh, a dragon uh, construct oh, okay. by a bunch of gnomes. And it was kind of like a Trojan horse. Yeah. 
and they would come up to a, a town and they, the, all the people would run away because they thought it was a dragon and then the gnomes would come out and raid the town. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Um, one of my favorite constructs is a giant uh, brass crab I made that uh, the characters rode around on. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, they thought it was an apparatus of what you call it. They're like, I described it as a big metal crab-looking thing, and they're like, "Oh, that's the apparatus of." It. I was like, "You can't get inside of it." What do you mean? It's it's a ten foot across crab. It's five feet off the ground. Um, you can't get inside of it. It's a construct. And they're like, "Oh, okay." And they're like, "What do we get? Do we have to fight it?" I'm like, "No, you don't have to fight it. It's." And they realized that it was a construct that if, you know, they that they could like tell where to go and stuff like that. It had a really low intelligence and they were able to manipulate it. So, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> constructs. Uh, do we have anything else besides constructs or any constructs you wanted to talk about there, Dave? Oh, I think everything else we're going to cover in a, a show or two down the road. Oh, right. Yeah, no. Constructs are pretty cool. Celestials are pretty cool. Beasts are pretty important. I mean, you know, if you didn't have beasts, eh, you'd be stuck eating aberrations and celestials and trying to eat constructs. I don't know. Maybe and you could... ride them. And ride them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, beasts have a huge part, uh, probably a bigger part in Dungeons and Dragons than dragons do. Yes. And aberrations. But... but... Yeah, dingoes, dogs, and dogs, and dra and dungeons, and this doesn't quite no, work. No, no, no. And you know, all all four of these have their very important spots. Like beasts, it's the natural world. Aberrations, it's the exact opposite of the natural the world. Unnatural it's the unnatural world. world. Then you have uh, celestials who are petitioners of the gods in the upper planes and the 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 things that live in the upper planes. You know, like a celestial dog as we talked about before mm -hmm. and then of course the construct the construct is the unstopping dying machine or the scarecrow that catches on fire or the tin man how come there's no lions oh that's beasts uh so yeah yeah construct celestials beasts and aberrations that's uh pretty cool next time we'll be talking about dragons elementals phase and fiends and yeah so Join us next time on D&D and D&D, and we'll talk about that. Hey, Dave. Yes, yes, we will. We guarantee it. Yeah. Hey, Dave, it's yes. the end of the show. Oh. We we got there. I miss it. Yeah. Already. I, I know. I can't wait until it's next week so I can listen to the next one. I know. And uh, just a shout out to everyone, if you're still listening and you haven't turned it off because I said it's the end of the show, uh, we are going to be at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. I'm going to be there probably the whole time. Dave's going to be there at least a couple of times talking on panels. Um, we don't know what the panels are yet, but... Uh, News will be forthcoming, as I just heard from Gwen Callahan, the uh, coordinator and uh, person who runs the show. Uh, Brian and Gwen Callahan run the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival in Portland, Oregon. And sooner than later, we will find out where we're going to be and... Hopefully today. Yeah, yeah, hopefully sometime soon. And yeah, so... Uh, check out the show notes. Uh, the show was brought to you by Copper Cow Coffee, Donner Guitars... And, um, yeah, just... Humunculi. Humunculi, yes. And Humunculi loved Taza Chocolates out of Somerset, Massachusetts. And so would you if you try it. So check the show notes. 
go to Threadless or pgttcm.threadless.com. Pick up a cool T-shirt. We've got a lot of other cool T-shirts in there too. Uh, help support the show so we can keep making these. And um, again, thank you all for listening. Uh, written and edited by DB Spitzer and David Heath. And uh, music as always by DB Spitzer. Thank you again and have a great October. Yes. All right. We'll see you later, everyone. Bye. That was a good episode. You're listening to KZON. Recording by Guy Letterfine Astounding Stories 10, October 1930 By Various, Section 11 Producing Heat by Arctic Cold Producing heat by means of Arctic cold is a fascinating, but nonetheless quite practical idea evolved by Dr. H. Barjou of the French Academy of Science. Dr. Barjou says the water under the ice in the Arctic region is about 70 degrees Fahrenheit. While the air is many degrees less, there may even be a difference of 50 degrees. The unfrozen water could be pumped into a tank and permitted to freeze thus generating heat, as freezing a cubic meter of ice liberates about as much heat as burning 22 pounds of coal. The heat produced would vaporize a volatile hydrocarbon which would drive a turbine. For condensing the hydrocarbon again, Dr. Barjou says great blocks of brine could be used. Not only would the Arctic regions become comfortably habitable by means of this utilization of energy, contends Dr. Barjou, but heat also could be furnished for the rest of the world. Now, if someone only can discover how to make the Sahara Desert send forth cooling waves, the world would be perfect temperaturally. <laughs>